What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm Joe and Nick. What's going on, guys? Okay, we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to start with the NFL and then go into baseball. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's great that everything's coming back to normal. Sports are coming back online. Uh, it's, it's nice to, to have that back in my life. It's nice to have a sense of normalcy. Uh, with that being said, we're going to move right into the NFL. So the first news I wanted to cover in terms of the NFL this week, uh, it seems as if the NFLPA, uh, the Player Association for the NFL, and the NFL have yet to come in a, to a certain understanding slash agreement on what the COVID, uh, what the COVID football year is going to look like. Um, you know what precautions and how they're going to carry out the season hasn't been formally agreed on, and a lot of the players are upset by it, um, as well as the NFL. I'm sure the people on their side are upset that they can't really come to an agreement or an understanding on what's going to be happening moving forward. Um, essentially, the preseason is canceled at this point, uh, but it comes a question of you know how are you going to determine who gets to make the team, as I've spoken in the past about uh, who's going to make the team versus not. You know how are the players going to be able to show off their talents if they don't have those preseason games to do so, um, and you know to make the rosters. Uh, you know what precautionary measures are they going to allow fans versus not? I've heard that they're going to allow fans with, with masks on. Um, you know, I guess it comes down to how the coronavirus is looking uh, come when the season starts. But um, you know, a lot of a lot of confusion on how the season's going to go forward so far, and they don't really have answers yet. Uh, you know, something to watch and keep note of uh, moving forward. Um, beyond that, uh, second piece of news for today: the Giants released a couple. I would say they've had him for a few years now. Their kicker, Aldrick Rosas. Um, now, I was a fan of Rosas. He made the Pro Bowl two years ago, not this past year. Uh, had kind of a down year. And after he, I believe it was in sometime in June, he got, uh, I believe, arrested or charged. I'm not sure what the, the exact details are in terms of the criminal case. But uh, the story goes as he was drunk driving and he committed a hit and run. On um, That combined with his down year, the Giants said, you know, we're not going to pay him. Uh, we'll find a different kicker. Uh, rumor has it they were going to go with Stefan Gostowski, but I believe they signed somebody else. I can't remember who the exact signing was to replace him. Um, should be interesting. Uh, you know, he had a good year for, I want to say it was like two years ago now. Uh, he was the best kicker in the NFL in terms of percentage of field goal makes, so it was really exciting to watch him that year. But after having a down year last year and with that off-the-field incident, I can't really blame the Giants for releasing him. Um, hopefully he doesn't drink and drive again, and he'll find a home elsewhere. Um, if not, the Giants will resign him down the road if he's able to correct his issues. Um, so we'll have to see what happens to him. Um, secondary or third piece of news this week: uh, the Chiefs wound up see, signing uh, Kalichi Osmel or Osmeli Osmeil. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I've always struggled with it. Uh, he last played for the Jets. He's been he was a longtime Raiders guard. It was pretty good for the Raiders. He was okay with the Jets, but the Jets didn't want to pay him for the production that he produced. Um, Kansas City left guard uh, Laurent Duvernay uh, Tardif Tardif, sorry I struck with the name um, he opted out just a few days ago he was the first NFL player to opt out uh, due to the coronavirus so the Chiefs had to find a replacement really quickly and Kalichi is going to be their replacement uh, I think he's a pretty good replacement it's a one year contract for $2 million, $2 million you know they didn't overpay him um, he's a pretty solid guard for them he should be a pretty nice replacement for them um, no complaints there you know, they had to, they had to get uh, somebody in for Tardif, so they went with uh, Kalichi. Uh, moving on from there, we had Antonio Brown. He declared on Twitter that essentially he was going to retire. Um, that was about six days ago, and I believe it was two days ago he posted a 
some picture on Instagram with a very long caption, essentially saying, "Look, the NFL. Look, uh, you know, the NFL. I've done everything you've asked for. Please let me back in the league. You know, mm-hmm. reinstate me and let me sign to a team. Uh, give me a fair shot." And you know, I, I really don't know what to say about Antonio Brown at this point. The question is, is what team is going to sign him? It's some, it's some team that's going to be Super Bowl ready. They have a decent amount of money to pay for Antonio Brown. I don't think he's going to be as expensive because he's been out of the league for quite the time, quite some time now um, with his off-the-field antics. Um, I don't know what it's going to come down to, whether it's going to come down to a team that has a little bit of money to pay that's Super Bowl ready that could take on Antonio Brown because he's not somebody you're going to invest in long-term, right? He's 31, going to be 32 years old. Um, you know, He's reaching the end of his career as a receiver. Uh, yeah, I still think he's one of the top uh, receivers in the league, but you know, come three, four years down the line, he's definitely. I don't. I don't believe he will be the same receiver anymore. Um, his age will start to catch up with him, and he's not going to be worth the money if they're going to pay uh, Brown long term. And is that cost? You know, to get somebody like Brown, you might want to lock him long term. But is it going to be worth the antics off the field? You know, if maybe if he's able to correct his antics off the field, he might be worth it. But uh, there's a lot of question marks with Antonio Brown, and I, I don't know if a team's going to sign him. Again, with him aging and the money that he's probably going to want and his antics off the field, uh, he's a big risk for a team to take on. So we'll have to see what he does. But um, So there's that piece of news. Um, from there, uh, Michael Bennett, a longtime uh, defensive end for the Seahawks. Uh, he's during the Legion of Boom when they won those Super Bowls. Um, or I guess Super Bowl. Uh, he, was, he was part of the Legion of Boom, and he's now retired. Uh, he played for the Patriots. Had a pretty good career. Um, you know, he was a pretty solid pass rusher during his time in the NFL. I always remember as the guy who kind of inverted his shoulder pads and, like, never wore them uh, to the full length. He'd always have his shoulders exposed. Uh, he's a pretty interesting guy. To, um, pretty, you know, he was pretty interesting to look at while playing because everyone else had got their shoulder pads on, and, and Michael Bennett was, like, not not doing that. Well, other than that, he was a pretty talented player, um, pretty solid guy. So uh, congrats on a great career to Michael Bennett. And then the final piece of news for the week which I'm sure Brian has some comments on, is is also the biggest piece of news. So uh, after some drama surrounding the Jets and Jamal Adams, FT, he requested a trade request. Uh, the, the Jets decided to deal him to the Seahawks. Um, so the trade uh, in, in, in everything was Jamal Adams and a 2022 fourth-round draft pick uh, from the Jets in exchange for Bradley, uh, Bradley McDougal uh, and two first-round draft picks 2021 and 2022 as well as a, a third-round draft pick in 2021 from the Seahawks. Um, so there's the trade. The Jets wind up uh, dealing Jamal Adams to the Seahawks. I thought if he was going to get traded, it would be Dallas. I didn't think he was going to get traded in general. Um, but there you go. The Jets did it. Uh, in terms, I'll speak a little bit about what I think about the trade in general uh, first, and then I'll hand it over to Brian. But uh, ultimately, not really sure about this trade. You know, I think Jamal Adams, with his talent and his age, he's still pretty young. Um, he's one of those players that you don't trade. And if you do trade him, which, again, I don't think you should trade him. He's one of those players that could really anchor a defense for a decade. Um, if you do trade him, you at least got to get a, a you know a top-ten pick in exchange for him uh, so, to make up that value. Because, you know, again, Jamal Adams, in my opinion, top two, top three safety in the league, but also probably a top-10, top-15 player in the league. And I don't know if that type of value as well as a fourth-round draft pick, is equal to the exchange of two first-round draft picks, a third-rounder, and Bradley McDougal. Bradley McDougal, uh, you know, starter at best in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, he'll be serviceable for the Jets, but he's not a replacement for Jamal Adams by any means. Um, unless, the, unless the Jets dra- take those two draft picks, those two first-rounders, and really turn it into something, 
then maybe the Jets will win the trade. But ultimately, I don't think they're going to get that, especially with the Seahawks in the position they're in with Russell Wilson, uh, Jamal Adams now. If the Seahawks can find a way to re-sign Jadavion Clowney and who, you know, make the cap space for him. Uh, Bobby Wagner, you know, a lot of talent, DK Metcalf coming up, you know, still a lot of talent on the Seahawks team. Uh, you know, they have a chance to win the Super Bowl for the next how many, however, as long as Russell Wilson stays healthy, they're going to have a chance to win the Super Bowl. And ultimately, that means those first-round draft picks the Jets traded for are going to be late uh, late first-rounders, you know, you know, we're talking at least 15 and up, you know, at least the latter half of, of the first round, which obviously doesn't have as much talent as there is to pick from the first half of the first round. Uh, so, you know, I don't think the I don't think the, the Jets did a bad job in the value they got. They still got two first rounders. They got a they got a third rounder and they got Bradley McDougal. You know, they got a good uh, good good amount of trade value in exchange for Jamal Adams. I just don't see Jamal Adams as a player that's worth trading. You know, I just think. No matter what you do, they're not going to get the value back. Um, we'll have to see. You know, again, if the Jets can get lucky and, and draft really well with these picks and use use that to build a team of of you know two Jamal Adams and and whoever else with the third round pick, if they're able to fill slots with it, it may work out for them. Um, but you know, I just I'm not sure if the Jets should have traded him to begin with. And ultimately, in terms of why this trade happened, I think it's partially the fault of Jamal Adams, partially the fault of the Jets. Uh, coming from the Jets' side, you know, I just think they shouldn't have hired Adam Gase in the first place. Their GM is subpar. You know, he spent all that money in free agency, and the Jets are kind of limited on cap. Um, and, and Adam Gase, I don't, I'm not sure if he's a good coach or not. I'm a, you know, I've never, I don't really believe in Adam Gase. I don't think he's the right fit there for New York. I don't think he's the right fit for anywhere, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's a fault in the Jets' side. But on Jamal Adams, he's got to realize that the Jets are a rebuilding team. And they're going to want to have Jamal Adams on his rookie deal for as long as possible, uh, you know, so they have more fidgeting room around with the the salary cap. And if they're going to pay him, you know, two years ahead of to an extension, two years ahead of when his rookie contract would expire, that's going to limit the Jets and their ability to improve the team. So it's you know it's kind of Jamal Adams uh, speaking for himself. You know, it's more of an individual mindset versus a team mindset. You know, if he, he really wanted to be a team player, he, he'd play on his rookie salary and then t- then take his pay when uh-huh. the Jets were ready to pay him. Um, but you know, at the same time, Jamal Adams is a perennial talent in the NFL, and if you know if he, he deserves to get paid, so it's, it's a really tough situation. Ultimately, unless the Jets can really hit big on those two those two first round draft picks, I don't really see the the value in exchange for somebody like a player like Jamal Adams. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian, yeah, that's a pretty good point about. Um... I uh, just totally brain farted. But basically what my whole thinking about the situation is he – I'm kind of conflicted too because what you said about him not being a team player is pretty interesting because he was one of the key players and Le'Veon Bell tweeted about this or had an Instagram post. I think it was a tweet basically saying that he was the one that brought him to New York and then he's going to go out and complain that he's not getting the money he deserves and it seems for it seemed for a long time Jamal Adams was one of those players that's like puts the team first and then cares about himself next. He wants his team to succeed and then they'll just play from there. And then it seemed to all turn around this offseason, which made for a tough situation for the Jets, which is true. But I also think that the Jets need to realize what they had in Jamal Adams and it's not just a player that you randomly come about in the draft so easily. I don't think those two first-round picks that they're going to get are going to be anywhere close to Jamal Adams because Jamal Adams was, I think, a top-ten pick, somewhere up there. And 
six pick in the 2017 draft. Yeah, and they haven't had a lot of luck in the draft this past, I mean, decade, yeah, since 2010. And Jamal Adams was the the lucky find that they found. He was a superstar. He's a top 10 talent. And to just trade him away is is a difficult thing for me to think about. It's kind of similar to the Kristaps trade that the Knicks made. In my well, point, with the Giants, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it seems like you're not going to get anything back. And, I mean, they still have the possibility to get players, good players back from those first-round picks, but that's a big risk. And if you think about the Kristaps trade, the Knicks basically got nothing and traded away Kristaps Porzingis. On one hand, Kristaps was kind of like a drama queen or whatever. But it's just something that I struggle with thinking in two years down the road, you're going to have to pay him either way. Even if he declines a little bit, you're still going to have to give him a big paycheck. The only other thing I could think about is maybe the Jets didn't want to build a team around a safety and wanted to be able to use money to have more impactful players. But on the other hand, Jamal Adams, a safe, the safe, a safety position is still a impactful position. And I just don't understand. But... It is what it is, and I have to deal with that now. I, for a while now, thought that Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams would be, like, key pieces that would bring the Jets to some playoff appearances, maybe even a Super Bowl. I mean, that's well down the road, but now that's not a thing anymore. And I have to hope that Le'Veon Bell does well next season. Uh, but that's all that I have to say about Jamal Adams. And just going off of that, you know, let's look at it in terms of, like, an Odell Beckham trade, right? The Giants dealt Odell Beckham for which... I could never understand why they extended him, and because of on-field drama, they they traded him. I mean, looking back at Odell in New York, you know, nothing was really off the field. It was all on the field. He had the, the fights with Josh Norman, which were like nothing mm-hmm. at the end of the day. What he kick over a, a kicking net or yeah, yeah. punch over a kicking yeah. net? I mean, it's this stuff's minimal. You know, it's because he cares about the team. Any complaints he had it was because they were losing, and you know, you want a player that wants to win on their team, right? Um, and for whatever reason, the Giants said, you know, enough of this, we're going to trade you. And what did the Giants get in return? They got uh, Jermell Peppers, right, who's been subpar for the Giants so far. Uh, he showed promise in Cleveland to become possibly an all-star, a all-pro safety, um, and he hasn't really became that in New York so far. He hasn't played terrible, but you know, definitely not up to the standard we'd like him to see. He's always had issues with his coverage and it seems like his coverage isn't improving under the Giants. Hopefully, maybe with the coaching changes this year, that'll change, but we'll see. Um, other than that, they, they traded him for Dexter Lawrence, who's been a solid nose tackle. Um, and, you know, they, they traded away Damon Harrison as well. Uh, they've got Dexter Lawrence. they got DeAndre Baker, who got charged with, oh, I forget what it was at this point, armed robbery or whatever it was. Right. Uh, I think I think those charges got dropped, but you know, ultimately is the value in exchange for Odell Beckham there. I don't see it. Again, you know, they got some first-round draft picks, but what did they really turn it into? Uh, you know, it hasn't panned out as well as they'd hope. Because think about, you know, they could say, oh, well, maybe it'll work out down the road. But Odell, right off the gate, as his rookie year, was already an all-star. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had, you know, he, he play, I think he missed the first two games or so due to an injury. And then when, when Odell came on, the second Odell came onto the field, he was electric. Um, as though he's one of the top talents in the NFL, you know, he, he's a little bit down right now. He's still... He still had a ton of catches last year, even though he didn't put up the touchdowns he should have. Uh, then again, the Browns weren't scoring many touchdowns to begin with because Baker Mayfield had a pretty bad year. The offensive line was pretty bad. Bad coaching. I can't really blame it on Odell. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think the Giants got a good exchange for Odell, and I, I still miss him to this day. 
Um, I'm wishing the Giants didn't trade him because just like how you see Sam Darnold and uh, Jamal Adams, I kind of saw like Saquon and Odell. Yeah. And then, you know, the Giants would have had Daniel Jones back. You know, it would have been a nice combo to have on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Giants did find a little bit of luck uh, with Darius Slayton in, the, I think he was a seventh rounder or fifth rounder, seventh rounder um, out of Auburn. He's been pretty, he had a pretty good rookie year. We'll have to see how he does in year two. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think they got the value that Odell was worth, and I'm afraid the Jets might suffer the same consequences. Yeah, it's a uh, just think like when you were talking, like Jamal Adams was the perfect player, really. I mean, he was even. Let's just get rid of this off season. Before that, he was a player that was so into the game, very energetic and. He's 24 years old. I mean, he's a young player who's top 10 and is only going to get better. And it's just still going to bother me for a while. But that's all I have to say. Uh, I guess that's it for, I don't know. I guess that's it for football. We'll get into baseball now. Pretty exciting that baseball's back. Should we do Black Lives Matter now or save it to the end? Yeah, go for it now. All right. So, um, one of the big things that had been going on in the beginning of baseball and prior to it was how leagues were going to deal with the Black Lives Matter movement, how they were going to talk about it, if they were going to talk about it, and things like that. And we kind of got our answer during opening day, uh, especially in the Yankees game, which is the only one that I really know of. They had a little... I guess a, a ceremony or something uh, where all the players kneeled at once um, before the uh, before the what, what am I what's the word? Before the anthem. Yeah, thank you. Um, before the anthem. And they kneeled, held is it like a black, it's like a black I don't know what it, the word is, but they held like a black ribbon or something across the field. Like a black cloth, I guess. Yeah, a black cloth. Um, really long black cloth. Yeah, and knelt, kneeled uh, that was during the Yankees game for opening day. They all kneeled, and then I'm guessing they stood for the pledge of for the anthem. Did Aaron Hicks stand for that one? Yes, I believe everybody on opening day for the Yankees and the Nationals. I think they all kneeled before the anthem, and then on opening day they all stood for the anthem. Um, it wasn't until game two that Aaron Hicks and John Carlos Stanton uh, yeah. kneeled for the anthem. And then I was expecting the same thing to happen with the Mets, uh, but that didn't happen. They didn't do what happened in the Yankees game. They just went straight to the... They had, like, a little uh, video that everyone watched and um, held the black cloth, if you want to call it. But there wasn't kneeling, like, in unison, and then they went straight to the anthem. And I think everyone stood for it. I didn't see anyone. Um, I watched, which is what we're going to get into. We We had been talking earlier in this week that when opening day was going on, that it seemed like the nationally televised game, like on ESPN, was very focused around Black Lives Matter. And then comparatively, the local game, like for the Mets with SNY, uh, they haven't even mentioned one word about Black Lives Matter. And I think that's what we're going to get into. Where, where's the line between talking too much about it, not talking about it enough, and stuff like that? Nick, do you want to go off that? Yeah, so like, I don't know. For me, on opening day... You know, regardless of where you feel on Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, I, you know, me, me and Brian have talked about this before. It's just like how much politics do you want in in a sport? Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was a bit much on opening day, like you know, kneeling, whatever, whatever you want to do for the ceremony before the game. But there was like Black Lives Matter oh, on yeah, the mound, on the bases, on the jerseys. Um, 
I don't know. And then the, the commentators talked about it a lot. You know, again, it was just opening day. I on opening day, I wasn't sure if that was going to continue going forward. Um, but the fact that it was only on opening day, I guess, is fine. I'm just afraid if like if you have that every single time, you know, it becomes it, you get you get to st- like make sports so divisive. Mm-hmm. You know, if every game includes a hefty amount of, of, of politics and people are going to stop watching. And it's because, you know, again, I think sports is one of the things across this country that really unify us. And I really enjoy sports. Um, and to have it so filled with um, politics, it just, I don't know, it's its not something that I particularly love to see. Again, but if it's only on opening day and they want to do a ceremony to, to support, you know, to support their causes, no problem with that. And if they want to kneel... Uh, for every game, sure. It's just like the, I guess the branding of everything of Black Lives Matter just seemed like a bit much, mm-hmm. um, as well as the commentators talking about it during the opening day. But you know, since then, I've, I've been watching the Yankees, and it really hasn't been as heavy. Again, if they mentioned it once a game, whatever. Uh, it's just how much they mentioned it during opening day was a little bit much for me. Um, with that being said, I just figured, you know, in terms of like branding everything of Black Lives Matter, I figured, you know, they, how much money did they spend to do that, right? between the stencil on the mound and, and a patch on the jerseys and, and on the bases. Um, you know, I understand like, you know, you want to show your, your call, your support for the cause and you want to, you want to like, I guess, raise awareness. But I feel like we're kind of point at a point where like, it's minimally helpful. I feel like everyone's aware of the issue at this point. Um, and ultimately comes down to like, what can you do to change that? And from an NLB's perspective, I don't really feel like they're in a position to, to really change anything. Right. They can show their support for the cause, um, but what more could they do? They're, they're a baseball league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I did think of, you know, instead of spending money, again, I wasn't sure if this one is going to continue from here on out, and they'd have to stitch every single jersey, but why not take the money that you're using to stencil everything in Black Lives Matter and and quote on the jerseys, et cetera, et cetera, and start maybe like a college fund for underprivileged kids or, or, or you know, kids, African-American kids that can't afford to go to college, you know, putting the money towards something like that I think could have a greater impact than, you know, slapping Black Lives Matter on everything. Um, but I guess it's just my opinion. Um, ultimately, it was only on opening day. I really have no problem with it. Um, Brian, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the way that I look at it, I mean, we had discuss- we had texted about this on when it was opening day, and I thought it was going to continue as well. But was the second Yankees game on ESPN, or was that yes? I think the second one was on Fox. Was Were they Fox? talking about Black Lives Matter? And they didn't. I don't think they mentioned it once, and I watched it on yesterday, and I didn't see any mention of it. Okay. It was only during the first day on ESPN. Yeah. Um, so the way that I looked at it was I'm more to the opinion about supporting – I'm not saying Nick doesn't support it, but I don't really mind them talking about it to a degree. It would have gotten annoying and ingenuine if they continue to talk about it over and over again because it just seems they're doing it for um, to make their brand seem good, to make baseball seem good, and to show their overwhelming support, I think would have been a little ingenuine to what the cause is about. And the physical things like the Black Lives Matter patches and the Black Lives Matter on um, the pitching mound didn't really bother me. Um, I more saw that as just it keeps Black Lives Matter in everyone's head when they're watching the games, which, as Nick said, I think it is on everyone's mind. But baseball being as big as it is, I think just continues the awareness of the situation. 
And I don't know if the Black Lives Matter stencil is going to stay on there for the rest of the season, but to a certain point when I was, like, watching the game, the camera angle was always from, like, the pitcher to the batter, and you could always see the Black Lives Matter stencil, which was very uh, defining in the video quality. I could see it perfectly, and I'm sure that continues the awareness of it is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, My main thing is that if they had continued or if they continue to I think the Mets game is on ESPN tomorrow so or is it today I think it's today so I guess I'll see what they talk about but um if it continues where they just continue to bring it up that does support the awareness of it but then it becomes just like they're talking about it to talk about it and show that which side they're on and then it becomes ingenuine which is what I've been saying like again like uh, you know I People want to support Black Lives Matter, or whatever. I, I really don't care. Yeah. Whatever your opinions are, I just for me, it's just like the, the overwhelming politics in sports kind of ruins the ability to use sports as like an escape from everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to go check after after opening day the Yankees Twitter to see what the updates were um, in terms of the rain delay because it was a rain delay during that first game. Yeah. The Yankees wound up winning as a result, uh, which actually is a new rule now. If there's a rain delay and the game gets rained out, it doesn't get postponed. It's whoever was winning wins. Mm-hmm. Um, Yankees wound up winning that game, but when I went to go check the Twitter, uh, you know, I wanted to go see updates. I typed in Yankees and I went to the, like latest, and it was nothing but people bickering back and forth about politics, mm. which is just like I, I came for the baseball news. I didn't really come for the politics, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I just find like sports is a nice escape from politics. That's all. Yeah, and, I, you know, and <laughs> you know, again, I have no problem with them. You know. The players or the league talking about politics it's just that like well i kind of want to watch the baseball game <laughs> yeah i wonder how that if let's say they stop talking about it but they still have like the stencil and everything how what the politics will be like because to me it's more just like a physical thing and i don't know them not talking about it might lessen the politics that are in the game and that's basically how i see it um now i guess we'll just go into baseball actually starting uh there's a few things i want to talk about before we go at the, the Mets and the Yankees. So some of the things that I've noticed, we talked about crowd noise when it was the exhibition game, so last week. And to me, watching the games, the crowd noise is actually nice. And if I'm just like listening and not paying attention to the TV, it doesn't really sound any different. Um, there are certain times, I think it was the ninth inning on opening day for the Mets, where they increased the crowd noise because they were trying to like get the suspense of the situation when Edwin Diaz was trying to get the save. And then everything just got much more louder. Like they had to increase the audio for the Mets booth. And it made it sound a little weird, which I didn't really enjoy. But other than that, I think the fake crowd noise has actually been like very smart and something that I didn't think that they were going to do. And it just makes the game sound more like it's back to normal, which I'm sure everyone wants, obviously. Um, So I've really liked the crowd noise. I think the players have spoken that they like it as well. Um, but I still wonder how the teams not having a crowd to support them is going to affect them. For some people, I think it's going to hurt them, but for others, I think it's going to help. Like for Edwin Diaz and Jerry's Familia, for the Mets specifically, and players that just get in their head if they're struggling, like they don't have to worry about looking into the stands and everyone booing or hearing all the boos. They might hear it from the fake crowd noise, which I still don't know if they're going to do boos. But I think they'll get less in their head about those certain things, which is nice. Um, then I wanted to talk about the extra inning new rule. That's been kind of a main thing across both. Well, I guess it's been three days of baseball. But 
it was in the Mets game, and I think it was in another game. So basically what the extra inning new rule is, is when you get to the top of the 10th, uh, the last batter from the previous inning goes to second base to start the inning off, and that creates, makes it speed up the game and hoping that it won't go to like 18 innings or some crazy amount of innings if nothing just goes on for nine innings. And it kind of adds to the suspense of basically a sudden death, even though it's not sudden death if it's the top of the inning. But for the Mets game specifically yesterday, um, it didn't go the Mets way, but it was fun to have a runner in scoring position and then to just think about the strategies that teams are going to go about with this new rule. The way that I look at it is that in the top of the inning, so obviously the away team is going to just go at it and try to score as many runs as possible. And then the home team is going to base their strategy based off the previous inning. So let's say in the top of the inning, the team scores one run, then the home team is going to bunt the player over and have two time, two sacrifice fly attempts to get that runner home, which is a different strategy. But then what I was also thinking about yesterday is let's say you're down by run one run in the bottom of the 10th and you have your three, four, five hitters, which is going to be your main part of your lineup coming up. Do you go for the tie or do you go for the win? Because in the top of the 11th, the, the away team still has the same chance to score again. And then you're in an even worse spot because you're in a worse part of your lineup. So those are some interesting strategies that will probably play out through the rest of the season, which I think is going to add something fun to baseball. And it's something that baseball's been trying to figure out how to do, just make speed up the games and also add some type of suspense to them. So I'm going to talk about the Mets, and then I'll hand it over to Nick for the Yankees. So the Mets are currently at 1-1. One one. They won opening day 1-0, um, so it was a pretty boring game, except Ioannis Cespedes crushed a home run over the left field wall. I think it was close to being second deck, but I'm not sure, but it was a bomb. And obviously, Ioannis Cespedes has not played basically for two years. He had a little stint in 2018, but he's been injured. He's had multiple surgeries and things like that. And Ioannis Cespedes is someone going into the season that is going to be a huge factor for the Mets. I mean, he's in the DH role for most of the season, which is perfect for him because he's a power hitter, and that's what the Mets signed him to be and traded for him. He does have a good arm in uh, left field, but I don't know what his defensive skills are like at this point. But to see Ioannis Cespedes hit such a home run on opening day and give them the lead and ultimately the win was such a nice thing and reminded me so much of 2015 and kind of just brought back the excitement of baseball, which was really nice to see. Then yesterday was a wake-up call for me. Um, Opening day was so nice because the Mets won. And then game two, the Mets were up, what was it? Three, no, 2-1 in the bottom of ninth, two outs, and Edwin Diaz gives up a home run to Marcelo Zuna, which reminded me so much of last season with how bad Edwin Diaz was last season, constantly giving up home runs, constantly giving up leads, blowing saves over and over again. And that was a frustrating loss for me because the Mets were so close to being 2-0. and And especially in a 60-game season, every loss is more critical than previous seasons. Um, but what I really want to say is for Mets fans that are listening to this, don't get down at Edwin Diaz. I think he's pitched very well so far. And even yesterday after the game, he said that this isn't going to be some loss of confidence for me. He got the ball where he wanted to get it for Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna ended up getting a good hit on it. Um, I thought it was a good pitch and the Mets booth was talking about it too. 
it was where he wanted it, and you could see it in Zia's reaction. He smiled after, just like, he was probably thinking, like, okay, here it goes again. Not, okay, here it goes again, but that was where I wanted it, but just my luck, it's going to go over the wall. But I think his confidence is still there, and what really bothered me was after the game, everyone, like, putting up memes on social media, like, here we go again with Edwin, Edwin Diaz, he's back, or stuff like that. And I don't think that's the right way to go about it. It was one pitch, but his other pitches against all the other players have been really good. He's had to come in and face the heart of the lineup for the Braves, which is a pretty good heart of the lineup. And he's done very well, and I don't want people to lose confidence in him because I think he's so far had a really good season. The last thing I want to talk about for the Mets is... Well, actually, two things. The pitching has been very well. Obviously, Jacob deGrom opening day. You, There's nothing to expect other than greatness from him. And he pitched five innings of one-hit ball. He could have gone longer, but they wanted to limit his pitches because of his back tightness that he had in one of his simulated games or inter-squad games. And he pitched really well. The bullpen pitched outstanding in opening day, and the bullpen pitched outstanding on the second day, too, except for one pitch and also Hunter Strickland. But... I don't think Hunter Strickland's going to have that big of a role for the Mets this season. And also Steven Matz, who was pushed into the number two hole after, well, first up, Noah Syndergaard getting Cy Young and then Marcus Stroman having a calf injury. He pitched really well. I think he pitched six innings of two hit ball, two hits, I think it was, one home run. But other than that home run, he pitched really well. So the pitching looks good. The offense, to me, is still a struggle. Um, and it's something I'm going to talk about after the Yankees thing. But... Players like Pete Alonso, uh, J.D. Davis, they seem to be struggling out of the gate. Pete Alonso finally got his first hit yesterday, which was nice to see. Um, but offensively, they're a little stagnant. But I really like what I'm seeing from the pitching from the bullpen and the starting rotation. That's basically it. So let's go into the Yankees. All right, the Yankees. I got to say, uh, just going into this, having a 60-game season has definitely make me definitely makes me want to watch baseball more. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, you know, I've watched here and there. Um, you know, there's a lot of nights that I wouldn't watch because so I'm like, who cares? This game doesn't count. But with every game counting, like, the fact that the Yankees are 2-1 and one now is, like, so vital to how the season's going to go. Right. Versus when you have 162 games, you're 2-1. and one. It means absolutely nothing. But when there's 60 games, you're 2-1. and one. You know, that starts to matter a lot more. So, again, a lot. I'm really intrigued to see how the season goes. Um, with that being said, uh, the Yankees have kind of came off to a slow start so far. And I hate to call it that because, again, they're going against the Nationals. It was a pretty good team still. Mm-hmm. You can't count them out. Obviously, they won the, the World Series last year. Um, and Strasburg's out. Um, but they had Scherzer. Uh, so the, uh, the opening day, they had Scherzer versus Cole. Uh, Garrett Cole pitched pretty well. Uh, he didn't seem like he had full control on the ball like he did last season. But he said he was kind of nervous, and maybe he'll work. He'll probably work that out uh, going into his next start. Um, but he still pitched phenomenal. Uh, you want to give up like one run to them on the first game. Um, I forgot the Yankees won what the final score of that game was. I think the Yankees won like two to one. Um, I have it in front of me. Let me know. Um, right, scores. Here we go. The Yankees won three two that game. My bad. Um, so it's a pretty good first game. Uh, the Yankees overall have yet to really get their bats hot. Um, which I'm hoping they will at some point. Um, we'll have to see. Oh, that's right. The final score that was four to one. My bad. God, they scored three to two. I'm so out of whack. Um, so the, the final score was four to one. Decent game for the Yankees in game one. Game two was pretty abysmal. Uh, the Yankees weren't hitting; only put up two runs. Um, Stanton's been pretty hot for the Yankees. Uh, he, you know, which is funny because I, I was like, 
three, four days ago, I put on my Snapchat. I was like watching the opening day, right. and I'm like, Giancarlo Stanton is the worst. I'm <laughs> quoting myself. I'm like, Giancarlo Stanton is the worst addition the Yankees have made since I've started watching him since I was little. They spent so much money on him and traded for him. He's done absolutely nothing. He's been so hot for them coming out of the season, so I'm kind of glad I jinxed him. Hopefully he can keep it up. Sure. Um, he's had, I think, two or three home runs so far. Um, been pretty batty, batting pretty well. Um, Clayver Torres has been pretty cold up until today. He, he, he batted 3-4 today uh, with a home run and an RBI. Um, Yankees have been you know, pretty much the same Yankees. Again, I think their hitting needs to hit up because with the Yankees lineup, they got to be able to put up runs. And if they're going to have a game like Game 2 for the Yankees, um, James Paxton had a pretty abysmal start. I think he have seven runs or five to seven runs by himself. Um, and they wind up taking him out, and the Yankees wind up losing that game two to nine. So you know the Yankees, I think the Yankees starting pitching is pretty solid, um, but they definitely, I think they're a little bit rusty. As well as the relief pitchers have been pretty solid, but haven't been incredible so far. The hitting's been pretty good, uh, nothing incredible so far. But again, it's the Nationals, so I do question if they go against a team that's not as good. Um, will they be able to excel better? You know, two and one coming against coming off the Nationals is pretty solid. Uh, not too much to complain about there. I just think the hitting, they got to put it together. You know, the Yankees, with the 4-1, to one, the 2-3, to the three, you know, it's been a lot of home runs, which is solid. So, you know, solo home runs are great. But I, I just think the Yankees are struggling to put the ball in play right mm-hmm. now. They're having trouble uh, getting guys on base and then hitting them in. Um, but, you know, three games in, we'll have to see what they do against I forget who they're playing next. Um, I believe it's the Phillies. Yeah, they're playing the Phillies tomorrow um, in Philadelphia. So we'll see how they do. But a uh, pretty good start for the Yankees so far. I'm um, hoping they can continue to pick it up. Love to see. Uh, also to mention, uh, the Yankees, after James Paxton had a pretty bad outing yesterday, um, they wound up dropping Clint Frazier to, uh, I believe, AAA, or or they designated him to the lower leagues. I don't know how the exact designations work right now, especially with COVID. Um, maybe Brian would know a little bit more about that. But yeah. they dropped him down, and I think they pulled up a relief pitcher. I forgot his name. but um, So, interestingly enough, because Clint Frazier's a pretty good ball player, he could start in a lot of teams around the league, and it's just, it, you know, I don't think the Yankees wanted to drop him down, but he was kind of just the odd man out with however the, with everybody they have up right now. Um, they didn't really need him, so uh, so that's the Yankees' breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I th- I would imagine, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine he got put in the taxi squad, which is like, they have a certain amount of people in New York that can switch um, players if they need to which i would imagine that's yeah it was, it was a taxi squad yeah um so nick was kind of hinting at one of the things that i wanted to talk about and it's the same thing with the mets is that offenses around the league some of them seem to be struggling out of the gate more than usual um and they were talking about this last night and i think it makes sense they've had such a such time off and yeah they had their little summer camp and things like that but they're so out of the loop that it seems like offenses are going to struggle for the first couple of weeks and try to get back into the groove of things. Um, while pitchers, it's a little bit different. It's easier for them honestly, to... Honestly, I mean, honestly, from watching the Nationals and the Yankees so far, I've seen a lot of pitchers maybe not have the placement they want right now. Mm-hmm. That's something they have to pick up, but I'd say the pitchers definitely do have the advantage. Another thing that I have seen is a lot of players making errors. Yeah. I think Labor Torres made like two... I've seen... I think the Yankees game yesterday, or the 92 game, six errors. You know, we're talking almost double-digit errors in each one of these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of routine plays the guys are missing. So, you know, the time off is definitely showing, I think, on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that to look at. I'm, I would imagine after one or two weeks that's going to end and 
everything's going to pick up and obviously there's going to be little spots where offenses struggle and things like that. Um, another thing I want to talk about. So I think this was today. Jose Urania is one of four Marlins players that tested positive. Um, they think tested positive for the coronavirus, obviously. They think that it came after they played the Atlanta Braves in an exhibition game in Atlanta. And that's something interesting to speak about because obviously the travel has been something that teams have been worried about. And especially places like Atlanta, where the coronavirus cases have been very much on the rise. Um, that's something to keep an eye on and something that's concerning because there are certain places in America, um, in the United States that are having a much difficult, more difficult time dealing with the coronavirus than others. And the spread of it is obviously a main concern of, for baseball. So that's something to watch out for and hopefully it doesn't continue, but that's kind of the first instance of them traveling and having players test positive. Next up, what I want to talk about was, this is kind of minor, but only three teams right now are undefeated, and that's the Astros, Cardinals, and Padres. There's nothing to really talk about. That's just me pointing out something. So that's all I want to talk about, stories. I then, the last thing for baseball that I want to talk about, we have the final predictions for the NL West and AL West. So for the Western divisions, whatever you want to call them, they're going to be facing 40 games inside their division, 20 games outside. So let's start with the AL West. Um, this is an interesting division for me. Um, there's some teams that definitely had a really good offseason, and I guess I'll just get into it. So I have it going Astros, Angels, Athletics, Rangers, and Mariners. For the Astros, we had talked about way before the season, even before coronavirus, how um, the Astros shooting scandal was going to affect them, affect their mindset going into the season <clears throat> and yes i think that's still the case but with coronavirus it's definitely been less in there's people i mean my team hasn't played the astros so i wouldn't know for sure but i'm sure they're not focusing on that as much and especially with no fans that isn't a thing that's going to happen where like they're going to be mocking the players so i think that whole mindset might be more diminished at this point and the astros once again still have a very talented um lineup obviously they lost Garrett Cole but they still have Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa all those players and they're still very talented so <clears throat> I don't think anyone else in the AOS is as talented as them so that's why I have them going number one next up is the Angels which is probably a little bit of su a surprise because of how good the Athletics were last season but the Angels they have Mike Trout they signed um, Anthony Rendon who was the Nationals star last season and brought them to the World Series and he's going to add so much to that team. <clears throat> so him and Mike Trout, along with... Hold on, I have the list of players. I went on the wrong thing. Where are the Angels? Okay, yeah. They have Shohei Itani, obviously. They signed... Uh, they brought in more depth to the rotation with Julio Tehran. They have a lot going for them and a lot of stars on that team, a lot of star power that I think can take them above the Athletics, who had such a good season last year. Obviously, the Athletics won 97 games last season, if you didn't know that. Um, they still have basically a lot of the same people on their team, but I think the Angels are just so more improved, improved so much from last season that I had to give them the bump over the Athletics. And then for the Rangers, Rangers and Mariners, uh, the Rangers have gotten a little better. They uh, signed... I mean, they added Corey Kluber, which is obviously a huge addition. Um, 
They still have Joey Gallo, which I'm not the who I'm not the biggest fan of, but that's why they're at the bottom of the division. And then the Mariners really have nothing going for them. Sorry to the Mariners fans that are listening. Um, for the NL West, obviously the let me just go through it and then I'll talk about each team. I have the Dodgers number one, Padres, Diamond Diamondbacks, Rockies, and Giants. Obviously, the Dodgers are the team to beat in baseball, I'd say, right now. They just signed Mookie Betts to that crazy deal. Um, they have Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy. Um, I mean, the list goes on, on and on for the Dodgers. Justin Turner, Corey Seager. They have so much going for them. They also have David Price, which totally I forgot about. Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. The Dodgers have so many good players. Uh, I have them winning 42 games, but I could even say they would win more games than that. It really just depends. And then I have the Padres, which I'm sure is also a surprise because they didn't have a great season last year. But I think that uh, second season of Fernando Tatis Jr., I see him having a really good season. Manny Machado, also the second season with the Padres, which I also think he's going to have a really good season. Chris Paddock, who uh, I think is going to form into an ace for the Padres. They have also, similar to the Angels, star power that takes them ahead of a team like the Diamondbacks, who last season they had a surprise season. No one expected them to have such a great season, especially after losing Paul Goldschmidt um, and trading with Zach Greinke at the deadline. They had a surprising season last year. I don't really have a lot of faith in them. I know they went outside Mass and Bumgarner, and they still have players like Catal Marte and David Peralta, um, and they signed Starling Marte too. I just don't see them that taking them ahead of the Padres or really them having a great season off of that. I think last year might have been a fluke for them, especially after losing someone like Zach Greinke as well. Next up is, I talked about the Diamondbacks, the Rockies. Um, I think they'll be an average team. I have them winning 28 games, so just under 500. They did have a good season last year, but I don't know how far Nolan Arenado can really take that team, and I, don't, I just don't have a lot of faith in them. And then the Giants, similar to the Mariners, don't really have a lot going for them, so I have them at the bottom of the league. That's really it for baseball. Um, Nick, do you have anything else? Nope, that's it. Okay, so now let's go into basketball. We kind of changed up the little rotation that we used to have because baseball started. So uh, NBA exhi- exhibition games have been in full swing. Um, it was kind of funny. I was I was looking at the highlights, and I'm like, why are the Knicks not playing? And then I was like, oh, yeah, because they're a bad team, and it's only 22 teams. Um, but the Knicks were still in the news. They, The Knicks and Tom Thibodeau are finalizing or have already finalized a five-year deal. That's going to have him coaching if he has success through 2026, right? Twenty, Yeah, I think 2026. Um, Tom Thibodeau, in my opinion, was the best choice for them. Does that mean I think he's going to be really successful for the Knicks? No, I don't really know how I feel about him exactly because I know he's coached successful teams. He didn't have that much success with the Timberwolves, which was his last team. Um, he's had... He's had players complain about him. He's had players really like him. So I don't really know how that's going to mix with the young players on the team. Maybe he can develop them like he's developed players in the past, which I'm hoping that he can do. But then again, I don't really know with the Knicks because they're the Knicks. Um, There were rumors that Jason Kidd was the top candidate, and I think that was because 
talks had stalled with Tom Thibodeau, and I'm happy they didn't go for Jason Kidd because there are already rumors that the Knicks were worried about Jason Kidd, um, his coaching abilities, and wanted to surround him with a strong coaching staff. And if you're already worried about his coaching abilities, why is he your top candidate? That concerned me, and Jason Kidd has not had any success as a head coach. So I was happy they didn't go with him. That's really all I have to say about Tom Thibodeau. I'm kind of indifferent about him. I think he was the best option out there unless they wanted to go with some crazy hire that had no head coaching experience, which I think would have been a bad mood move on their part, especially where the Knicks are at at this point. Do you want to talk about Lou Williams? Uh, sure, yeah, but just going off the top of the ball, like I totally agree. Um, seems like the best option at that point. The only coach really with good coaching experience was him. Um, kind of a different towards him. He's had success. He's had slight success, but he's never really made it. He's never been really a good coach in the NBA. He's never been a terrible coach. Um, we'll have to see how he does with the Knicks. And as far as the exhibition games, um, you know, no matter how your team's doing right now, just know that like these exhibition games, these guys have been out of games for a while. It's, it's a new setup. I wouldn't take any of these games too hard. You know, a lot of the teams are still rusty. Watching the Rockets, their bench was pretty rusty. James Harden still pre- played pretty solid, but the Rockets bench, you could tell, was a little out of whack. Um, maybe they'll pick it up as time goes on. You know, they have a few more games, and they, I think they have three games of, of the scrimmage, and I think the Rockets are playing their second one tonight. Um, let's see how they do. But again, you know, just give your team time to develop. Uh, it's, they need a little bit of time to get back in nice and oiled up and ready to go. Um, other than that, uh, I guess the last story for the NBA is going to be Lou Williams. Uh, so Lou Williams, uh, obviously the shooting guard for the Clippers, uh, he decided that he was going to leave the bubble, and he got permission to do so to attend a funeral. Um, apparently after the funeral, he went to a gentleman's club. Um, I don't know why, what made him choose that decision, uh, but ultimately it compromises it, the terms and agreements he has with the NBA bubble. Um, and, you know, it puts him at larger risk for COVID. And then when he, if he gets COVID while he's at that club and not at the funeral that he agreed to leave for, um, you know, he could spread the coronavirus to the rest of uh, the bubble. Um, very a poor decision by Lou Williams, in my opinion. Um, you know, if you're going to leave the bubble, leaving it for a funeral, I, th- I think everyone can agree is, is pretty reasonable. Um, but to do it for the, the latter, what I mentioned, I, I just don't see that make as a good decision right now. Um, and to jeopardize people's health and jeopardize the, the safety that the NBA is trying to put on in the bubble, I just think it's very it's not smart decision by Lou Williams. Um, I, I, you know, I figured something along the lines would happen, but I didn't know it, it'd be that stupid of a decision. <laughs> um, and hopefully, you know, he was actually at the at that place with uh, one of my favorite artists, Jack Harlow, which I was like. I, and I didn't think about it at the time because Jack Harlow posted it on his Instagram. So I was mm. like, hmm, that's cool. Him and Lou Williams were hanging out. But I didn't think of it at the time. Now, now this whole story broke. I'm like, yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, but Lou Williams, come on. I got to say is, come on, man. Come on. We got to do better than this. Don't don't risk people. You know, people's lives are riskier. It's not something to, to play with. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think that ends about the NBA and almost wraps up our podcast. A little bit I just wanted to discuss is college stuff. Um, with all the cancellations in terms of conferences canceling fall sports and um, either staying conference only, I believe if there's cancellations, I think the NCAA grants uh, individual teams to make independent schedules. Essentially, the teams have to work it out themselves. Like the conference doesn't doesn't set up the, the schedule for them. Uh, should be pretty interesting. Apparently, Villanova is looking, from what I've heard, is looking into possibly having like for foot for the football 
uh, team having an independent schedule, setting up some games with some other teams. You know, I, I'd be a fan of it because I'm going to go back to campus. And it's going to be something to do on the weekends because there won't be much to do with coronavirus. Hopefully I can go to the games and spread out um, and still be able to maintain coronavirus guidelines. But it should be interesting to see how that works out. And I just wanted to touch upon winter sports. Um, from what I've seen so far, uh, the basketball teams are posting a lot of practices. You know, the players are practicing either individually or they're practicing as a, starting to practice as a team. Um, you know, using as as much uh, as going as doing the best they can with the coronavirus situation. Ultimately, that gives me the hint that winter sports are going to be on for college, which is pretty exciting. We'll be able to get basketball back, which I think. And possibly football. You know, hopefully we'll have a vaccine by then. Hopefully, coronavirus will be gone. Uh, come towards the winter time, but in the in the event that it's not, it seems as if the NCAA is planning to have some proper guidelines set by them. Hopefully, allow those teams to play. Um, I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, the, the notion of that. Um, hoping that you know they'll play. Uh, should be pretty interesting to keep watching uh, how these colleges work out. You know, I just find it interesting. I like the NCAA hasn't came out with an overarching plan or. or instructions for each conference but i guess conferences are handed individually uh, pretty interesting stuff there um other than that you know i don't have much to say um i think that ends the podcast so um with that being said um thank you guys for listening uh, if you guys have any comments questions concerns feel free to leave them at my email at nicholasquarter10yahoo.com other than that uh, hopefully we get the you know once basketball comes back next week uh, officially it is gonna be pretty exciting i think similar to the basket the the baseball mm-hmm. there's not that many games left you're gonna have the eight uh, eight games and then you're gonna have the playoffs uh with so little games every game counts and it's gonna be really interesting to watch um hopefully it'll be pretty good uh football is gonna come back soon hockey it's gonna be it's, you know it's getting better and i think it's continuing to get better for for our uh, sports fans so other than that uh thank you guys for listening and hand over to brian uh see you guys next week yeah it should be exciting to well it has been exciting to have sports back to having have something every day basically especially with baseball to look forward to watching has been fun and the fact that it's not some recorded game which is what i've been watching because sny has been having old mets games to not know the outcome of of it before i watch it is nice to see and have an actual live event to watch other than that also not much to say so we'll be back next week with another podcast let us know what you thought of this you can dm us if you want on instagram um check out our videos on youtube instagram uh, article is up about Jamal Adams if you want to go read that. Other than that, if you have any interest writing for us, any videos, any way you think it could help, contact the Sport Universe 2019 at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.